Hello, everyone, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ben, and today on our panel we have Ari. Hello. And Tessa. Hi. And I'm really excited because I get to have the honor of announcing that we have a brand new panelist joining the crew, Alex Revere. Alex, say hello to everyone. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Woo! Celebration sound effects. <laughs> So, as far as letting people get a chance to know you, I think, you know, it's always fun to dive into the origin story because I think a lot of us who are in front-end development don't typically enter it in through the sort of the standard comp side degree and so forth. So, start us back. Where does the story of Alex begin? So, I was a mild-mannered teenager. It was a dark and stormy night. It was a dark and stormy <laughs> night. And I got bitten by a radioactive spider. Oh, thank God, because that was my story too. But then when Ben said we had different origin stories, I felt so... Anyway, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not true. That's not true at all. So I started doing like developery things back in high school. What was the first developery thing that you did? I'm going to both simultaneously age myself and I'm going to simultaneously like completely destroy any cool credibility that I have. My first experience with programming was doing basic and HTML3 at computer camp in about 1999. So it's been a little while that I've been playing with web development and stuff like that. What are you talking about? That sounds awesome to me. I would have loved to have gone to computer camp as a kid. Yeah, I'm jealous as well. Yeah. <laughs> I also went to computer camp. <laughs> Yay! So go. I guess cool. we only have half cool kids here. Yeah. <laughs> we've always had computers in the house. My father was a computer programmer, so we've always had computers in the house. I did not grow up with video game consoles. I always had We always had some sort of computer. And so it's one of those where getting interested in programming and I was, you know, or like getting more into computers and stuff like that. And my parents looked up a computer camp and dad was like, this one looks good because it has stuff that I recognize and went there and I learned basic and I learned like some simple web development stuff and we made little websites and that's all gone at this point. But that was sort of my first introduction to programming. I remember I made some form of duck hunt where a duck flies across the screen and like you try to click it. And so oh, you're snap. like That's doing advanced. like graphics yeah. animation where you draw the duck and then you overlay the duck with a white duck to make it disappear. And then you redraw the duck, right? So that it, rather than like trying to clear the entire screen, that was years ago, right? That was two decades ago at this point. Three, if you include the pandemic. <laughs> Don't make me older than I am, please. <laughs> and so I started doing just sort of like developer-y stuff. And then I went to computer camp a couple more times. Over the next couple of years, uh, I learned some C++. I learned some other stuff. In high school, I started messing around with like Perl and PHP, which were like the hot thing at the time, right? Yes, yeah, so the way that React and Vue are today, that is what PHP was. PHP... Four was the hot new thing that everybody was using. I changed some stuff from PHP 3. What are we on? PHP 8 now. And so this is the technology that I was using at the time. Also at the time, around the time that I was graduating high school, I had taken an AP computer science course. I was developing, I was helping develop like open source software with 
games that no longer exist. I was doing a lot of stuff. Simultaneously, while in high school, I was also doing theater. And both of these activities were taking up all of my time. Just all of it. I reached a point where after graduating, I had a conversation with my parents and school was not a thing for me. It was not a good place for me. I do not do well in educational systems because they say you have to learn these things. And I go, no, I'm not interested in those things. And so I don't learn those things. And instead, I focus on whatever it is that I want to focus on, which is all over the place. Maybe if there was a school camp. Right? Yeah. If I could like take all of biology in two weeks, maybe. There are definitely some things that I now regret by not having learned in high school. Let me just put it that way. There are some things that I wish I had paid more attention to in high school. How many years until we have GED boot camps? Oh my God. When I was discussing with my parents, they were like, you know, you can drop out of high school, right? Like, if you really want to, you can drop out of high school, get a GED, and just... Your parents sound way cooler than most parents. Yeah. (laughs) My parents are super cool. I just want to throw that out there right now. I have super awesome parents. I am white guy in tech. I am very privileged. And my parents are super, super awesome, right? I love them. They are, like, my greatest supporters. They're fantastic. And so... I was stressing out in high school pretty badly, and they were like, you don't have to go to college. Suddenly, like, this huge burden was taken off of me, and that was the year that I actually started doing theater professionally. I got my first paying gig, and from there, I started focusing a little bit more on theater, and then people started being like, hey, do you want to do theater stuff? Can you run a lighting console? And I was like, I have no idea how to run a lighting console, and they were like, see this button that says go? You press that button. And I said, seems simple enough. I can do that. Sure. (laughs) I can press Um, the button. Yeah. yeah. And then stuff like that. Like the next one, they were like, can you run sound? And I was like, I don't know how to run sound. They're like, see this play button? (laughs) When I say go, press the play button. Yeah, I can do that. I can probably probably figure that out. And so just people started randomly from around town. I live in Atlanta. People from around town started calling me. And I kind of stopped doing as much computer programming because suddenly my life was becoming theater. I became a theater professional for 15 years. So that is my intro to programming, right? I had like this whirlwind four years of early web technologies. When I was graduating high school and I was sort of at the end of that first bit, they had this hot new thing that everybody was using. It was this really weird acronym too. It was was asynchronous JavaScript (laughs) and XML. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there was this new email service from Google called Gmail. And it was crazy. They offered you like two gigabytes of storage, two gigabytes. <laughs> My hard drive was 40 gigabytes at that point. So like they were offering me two gigabytes of space. It was amazing. My hard drive was 15. <laughs> I think I had a four gigabyte also at that point oh too. Gosh. So. I want to say I had at least 100 at that point. I have no idea what I had at that point. But I was privileged and had nice computers. (laughs) I don't remember if mine was megabytes or gigabytes. But around that time, I also had a hard drive commit suicide. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, let me tell you about that was sort of my first experience with Linux was, oh, yeah, I'm going to dual boot this. And it oh, no. completely wiped the drive. <gasps> and all of my music was gone. <gasps> I was lucky I had started backing mine up a week before it died. So I had all my music, but like all my photos were gone. It was devastating. 
Yeah. So yeah, that was my first foray into Linux. Was that? This is reminding me of when we used to have to worry about R versus RW, and is it the dash or is it the plus? And I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's my foray into development. And then I did theater for 15 years. That's the short version of that. I mean, the question I have is, well, I mean, having done theater, what then brought you back into the foray of development? It seemed like, obviously, like you're becoming well-known for theater stuff. Do you want the idealist reason or do you want the pessimist reason? Because I can go with either. Oh, both. So the idealist reason is I had been moving up the management chain and I just really wasn't happy with it. And, you know, what I really wanted to do was that I wanted to be doing problem solving. And I was solving some stuff at work by making some databases and all of this sort of stuff. And people were like, you're really good at this. So that's my idealist happy view. The pessimist and slightly more real answer is money. Yeah, I feel like we talked about this and it sounded like you were saving money for the company, but you were not saving money. Yeah, I developed a scheduling system for the company. I was scheduling people and so they were they handed me a Word document. They said, hey, schedule on this for 50 part-timers and oh not even this Excel? is for the month. Oh my God. Yeah, no, not even Excel. And once I stopped screaming... Because it was just like, if you can imagine like the most just painful scream coming out of somebody, that was about what it sounded like. I said, this is why we have databases. And I looked up software for scheduling and like, you know, managing people and stuff. And I saw several different options. And I found one. I was like, we we need to use this one. And they were like, we don't have it in the budget. And I said, cool. And then the server went down one day. So I made a scheduling database. And... (laughs) There were a lot of times where if the server went down, something really interesting came out of it from me. There was also digital signage that happened that was like that. And we had some Raspberry Pis scattered around. Or I had some Raspberry Pis and they were talking about getting some digital signs. And I was just like, you know, we could probably make our own. And they're like, how do we make our own? I was like, throw a Raspberry Pi on it. And the server went down one day so I, and I had my Raspberry Pis there. And so I was like, okay, cool. And I wired up a couple of them to like do the right thing and suddenly we had digital displays and i showed it to my boss and she was like i'm gonna get you a meeting with the general manager like tomorrow is that okay i'm like yeah that's fine it's fine (laughs) i had done a lot of work in theater in very technical situations i did sound i did lighting i did stage management for a while and each of them sort of have their own interesting way of thinking about how you handle challenges in them. But as I was doing more technical stuff and I was explaining, I was at this point I had started going to meetups because I was like, I need to ask questions to people because I don't have the words to look up the stuff that I need to find. And sometimes you need those words to be able to get the resources that you need. But if you don't know what the words are, then you, you don't know how to find it. And so I would go to meetups just to be able to talk to people and be like, I'm trying to do this thing where I'm doing this sort of a thing, but I don't have any good documentation. They're like, oh, no, what you're trying to do is this. And they would give me a word and I would go, okay, cool. And I would search for that. I'm like, yes, that is exactly the thing that I am trying to do. I was getting developer resources that way. And I was applying it to like theater entertainment world. And there was a day where I was explaining what I was doing about database stuff. And I was like, I just don't, I don't know if I'm ready for a developer job or not yet. And I'm like explaining, like I made this database and it has a thing and like, then there's web connectors and it sends out emails and it does all of this stuff. And they were just like, 
okay, you need to just start thinking about yourself as a developer. Listening to what you're doing, you are a developer. And I went, really? And they were like, yes. I was like, oh, okay. And so that was like the moment where I had to start rewiring my brain to be like, I'm not a lighting designer anymore. I'm a developer, right? Six months later after that, I got my first real developer job, right? Where I was what we in the theater industry call either a real people job (laughs) or selling out. Like those are the, you call it either one. Really selling out. Yeah. That interviewing process was terrifying too. That was interesting. Yeah. I want to hear more about that because I don't know if this is the case for the rest of you, but I feel like it may not necessarily always in practice, but a lot of times in practice, but also just like mentally or emotionally, I tend to cut to my new commitments. Like I don't feel like I can let go of old things to go on to new things, regardless of how the job is. Deciding to move on or do something different is always like a pretty big decision for me. And a lot of times there's a lot of lead time even between making the decision and then taking some kind of action on it. I'm curious to hear more about how you finally decided to leave the theater world and how you went about finding that first job. So I had been at, I was, the place that I had made the schedule for was, it's an arena. I was in charge of stuff where basically if it turned on and off, it was my fault is how I would put it lightly. So I was scheduling people to deal with this stuff. You know, it was the same thing year after year. And you'd get into sort of a pattern of like, okay, now we're in graduation season and now we're into Christmas season and now we're into this, you know, now we have all the nutcrackers coming through and now we have what have you. And I was in that pattern and I really wasn't happy. You know, the people around me were like, the only time that we really see you interested in the work is when you have like some new computer programming thing that you're doing. And I was like, maybe I should focus on this some more. So I, I really started focusing on Python, started getting back into PHP a little bit, but was really focusing on Python at that point. And I started looking for jobs. I was like, well, someone told me that I should think of myself as a developer. I think I can do this. I had started listening to podcasts that were, you know, like Shop Talk Show and some other ones where it's really just sort of like getting more of those just like words where it's what is this thing that they're talking about and what do I need to know about it? And I found a place I had applied to a couple of places and hadn't heard anything back because my resume looks weird at that point, right? Like I have 15 years of theater experience and I have zero programming experience to show for it. And actually a member of the PyATL meetup group where I had started meeting and talking to other programmers, she looked at my resume and said, hold on, let me punch this up for you a little bit and we'll we'll rearrange a couple of things. And she moved things around and basically made the resume like she was like, okay, tell me about the stuff that you're doing at your current job. We formatted all of the things that I had been doing at my current job, which weren't technically part of my job description that I had inadvertently done at my job to make my life better. And we got those put in in such a way so that it looked more programmery. And then at the, as sort of the idea behind the resume, she was like, cool, you are a hobbyist programmer who is wanting to move to full-time. With that idea in mind, she helped me formulate this fantastic cover letter where it's like, here are the things that I've been working with, here are the things that I've been working on, 
and sort of explaining like, I've been really diving into this for the last year at my current job, but it isn't my job to be doing this and I want it to be. I had applied to a couple of places, never heard back from anybody. And like with this cover letter and this resume, I sent it out to a couple of places and immediately got calls back where they were like, hey, what, how you doing? What's going on? And I ended up doing an interview. It was my first tech interview. And they'd give me like take-home tests and I would do the take-home test. And the thing that was on the take-home test that was really weird was I had to do JavaScript and I had never done JavaScript because if you will recall, back when I had been programming previously, the state of JavaScript was kind of, it's that gimmicky thing that you use to move text across the screen, animate your, you know, like add some animation to your cursor. cursor. Yeah. All of these sort of like, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a gimmicky language and nobody's really right. And there are people who will fight me on that. And I, I don't want you to because I was wrong. I will admit that now. However, that was the mindset that I had at that point. And so they're making me do things where it's like make a search field and make it do an Ajax call. And I have never written JavaScript before. And so in a week, I'm having to cram enough information to understand how to write JavaScript to make these things. And the interesting feedback I got in that interview was, well, you're doing things, but with an older style. <laughs> and I went, that eh, makes sense. And they're like, you do realize you can use border radius now, right? And I went, what? We can use border radius? <laughs> that was the day that you rebranded as a classic programmer. Yes. But I had gone into that interview. It was a PHP interview. And I ended up getting my first job. It was at an agency. And I learned a lot at that agency. That's a safe way of saying it. (laughs) (laughs) I learned a lot while I was at that agency. I crammed on JavaScript pretty much the entire year. I was getting back into WordPress development. Because when I was developing previously, I remember WordPress before it was version one, I remember that it had changed names to WordPress. So it's one of those where I had been around WordPress up until about version three, and then, or no, not even version three, maybe version two, and then like had kind of gotten away from it and now was getting back to it. And it was completely different, not completely different, kind of the same, but they had started doing some stuff differently. And then PHP was doing things differently. And so it was a whole thing. So there was a lot of WordPress at that first job got into some Magento. But while I was at that job, there was one client and one of my coworkers who is now currently my boss at a completely different job. He and I would sit right next to each other and he got handed a project that he and I were going to work on. And basically he's like, cool, this is the thing where we're just needing to do like restaurant listings for a local chamber of commerce. So we're going to use this thing And it's called View. And I went, (laughs) okay. And he's like, watch this, watch this. So you can like do two-way binding. I'm like, what is two-way binding? Why does that? And he's like, okay, look, look, look. See, I can type into this thing and it's updating the values over here. I'm like, yeah, who cares? Like, he's like, no, no, no. But if you update the values over here, it updates the input. And I went, okay, that's kind of (laughs) cool. And so we built this single page application using View. You could update a list of restaurants. And then every day there was a cron job that would just rebuild the site. And that was it. We'd pull in like a JSON blob and shove the data in and then it would populate and display the page. It was perfect. It worked perfectly for that. But that started my interest in Vue. That was my first introduction to Vue was basically like, hey, cool, we're doing a project in this. Learn it. And I went, (laughs) sure. So 
lucky chance that that is what happened. He could have said, we're doing it in React, and I would have been like, sure, why not? Great, okay, right? And I could have been a React developer instead. But instead, I fell in love with Vue. Vue is the thing that made me stop hating JavaScript. And because of Vue, it actually made me a better developer. (laughs) And and never strayed too far from the sidewalk. (laughs) God damn it, I was going to do it. I think I'm missing a reference. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, because of you. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. You'll have to link me to that song because I don't... I thought I lived under a rock. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been living under a rock for 15 years. I was stuck in really dark rooms that didn't... Like, we would have random music playing. Most of the time, it was like whatever the big hit of the year was, and then people would dance to it. It's probably one of those where I'll be like, oh, oh this that, song. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. no, yeah. There were so many bad dance numbers to this. Right, like it'll be Is one that of those. why you never stay on the same side so you don't get hurt? <laughs> Tessa. There's <laughs> lyrics from this song. hmm <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to start randomly bringing in Broadway musical songs just for y'all so that y'all get just as confused. Or I'm going to start bringing in Samuel Beckett references. Oh, not Beckett. Yeah, Beckett. Yeah. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to bring in some weird existentialism stuff and you're just going to be like, oh my gosh, please stop. And I'll be like, (laughs) no. I think Godot was a pick on an earlier episode for what it's worth. (laughs) But was the play the pick or was the language the pick i think you know i think i know so one thing that i'm curious about is what you're doing now if you were one of those children that had an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up or what you wanted to do when you grew up how different or similar is what you're doing as a child i wanted to be an artist and i did that also as a child what i really wanted was Imagine like a space shuttle cockpit or like a airplane cockpit, right? And you have like all the or like, like a mecha cockpit. You have all the buttons and the switches and the levers and the f- things. And like you see people in movies and they sit down and then they go like flip, 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 click, click, flip, turn, flip, flick, right? And like they're just doing all of these things, right? And I realized one day in theater, I was like, I'm there. That's what I'm doing. I'm pressing (laughs) buttons and flipping switches. I sit down, I flip a bunch of switches, I press a bunch of buttons, things happen and things go, right? And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm doing that. Like, that's what I'm doing. I had sort of reached this point where I was like, okay, cool, I can do this. But then that part of me got jaded, we'll say, is the nice way of saying it. I got jaded. And I realized that it wasn't what I wanted. And I had been sort of working for years and years trying to figure out what it was that I wanted. And I really wanted to be able to help people and solve problems. And computer programming works for that. But computer programming works for that only to a certain extent, right? Because you're not really, you're still not interacting necessarily with the people that you're helping. It may be like, okay, they talk to this person and that person talks to this person and this person gives you the thing and says, hey, fix this thing, right? You're not directly impacting, you're not having a relationship with them. And sometimes at smaller companies you are, sometimes most of the time at bigger companies, you're not necessarily as a developer. They kind of keep you shielded from everything. And I had stayed pretty active in PyTL and 
I had started because of my newfound love of Vue.js. I had started going to the local Vue meetup, the Atlanta Vue.js meetup. So this is all, let's see, I got back into development around 2016. So 2019, beginning of 2019, the organizers of PyTL were going to be changing. I think Doug Hellman, who had been, well, Doug Hellman, who had been an organizer for PyATL, stepped back a couple of years previously. And so two guys had been running it. One of them was my friend. And at that point, he had helped me get the job that I had at that point. I had moved on from my first job, went to my second job, where it was like, we're doing Python and Vue. And I went, great. And it was a very small business. And so it was more of that, like reaching out and helping, talking directly to the customer or helping someone specifically. And they were changing who was in charge of the meetup again. And JR, who was one of the co-organizers, was like, cool, can you come help, right? I want to get a bigger group of people. And you've been here a lot. We talk all the time. So I want you to help. So come help. And I was like, sure. So that was February 2019. So later that month, I go in February, I go to the Atlanta Vue.js meetup. And Peter Finn, who had been running that. He and David Sander had started the group together. They had actually started separate groups at the same time, realized that they were both starting the same group, and then merged into one group. So David is sort of the more quiet one. He he stays back, and Peter was the one who was doing most of the organizing. Peter came over to me at the meeting, and he went, so you're here a lot. I'm not really using Vue at work anymore, and... I kind of have other things I need to focus on. Do you want to take over the meetup? (laughs) (laughs) So in the span of a month, I became an organizer for two meetups in town. And so that is how I became, I slammed myself into becoming an organizer and becoming a quote unquote pillar of the community. We are grateful to have you. That is for certain. I think we crossed paths. I can't even remember which conference it was now. I think... Well, no, Ben and I met first because you and I met via Chris. Yes, that sounds right. And we Mm. met in person at Connect Tech in 2018. And then all three of you and I met in person for the first time at Connect Tech. No, no, no. We would have met at 2017. All three of us met together at 2018, I think. I was about to ask, you didn't meet Ben in person at Connect Tech? Wait, hold on. How did you meet him? No, because Connect Tech 2019 was at my new job. Okay, so hold on, hold on. Now I have I think to math. 2019 that we all hung out yeah, together. 2019 yeah. is the year that we were all there together. Okay, so we all met each other at Connect Tech 2019. So that's where we all met. And we immediately hit it off and became best friends. And Wait, so I'm confused. <laughs> Did you meet Ben at a different Connect Tech or was it the same Connect Tech? It's a different one. Yeah, Ben, you were at the 2018 yeah. one. Yeah. And that was my first sort of tech conference that I had been to. And then I picked up the meetup in 2019. And then I started doing talks. And then I gave a talk at Connect Tech 2019 and met all of you lovely people. So yeah, Yeah, it's incredible how these sort of communities, and that's what's so lovely about your stories. It's a reminder that there is not this one path into things far from it. Like sometimes, yes, you do need to reframe things, right? I think it was a big moment for you when you had, you said it was PyATL, a co-organizer helped you to sort of reshape the way your resume was being perceived. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, it's just a wonderful example of that and why you can really just figure out ways to connect the dots and make your way in this community, which is what I love about web in general, compared to some more traditional programming jobs where they might require like a degree or they might require certain classical training. But if web has proven anything, is that like, if this is something you want to do and you want to be in, there's, there's room for you. Yeah. And I always try and help new people in tech. So if you are listening and you hear the sound of my voice and you have questions about things, you can at Gloomy Loomy. You can at Gloomy Loomy. <laughs> you can reach out to me. My DMs are open. My email is available to be reached at. So please feel free to reach out to me and ask me whatever question because the only stupid questions are the ones that you don't ask. Mm-hmm. Those are the only silent questions, but they're not stupid. What are skills you developed or lessons that you learned in your non-officially a programmer background that you feel like you exercise or come in handy in your officially a programmer experiences? So the thing that I like to say is theater is a purely collaborative art form. Painting, you can, by yourself, paint a picture. You can go stand outside, look at a mountain, paint the mountain done. It's you. It's by yourself. No one else ever has to see it. And it is still considered art. But with theater, at the minimum, you have a performer and an audience member, bare minimum. And there is a collaboration happening there. Now, there is some sort of power dynamic. One person is being watched and one person is doing the watching. But there is still a collaboration there. You as a watcher and audience member have to go along with whatever the actor is doing, right? And so if you don't believe them, then the collaboration doesn't exist. And it's not good art, right? So for good art, you have to have good collaboration. Same thing backstage. You have all these different departments and all of these different moving parts, and you have to communicate and you have to collaborate in order to make this finished product. And that is the thing in software development that I see and I don't see enough of. I see it needing to happen. I see it happening sometimes. And then I see it not happening. And I go, you were doing it over here. Why aren't you doing it over here? And it's really, you have to, like, there are times where you just need to take your ego out of it and just do the thing. And that is one of the big things that I have taken from entertainment and from theaters, that it's it's extremely collaborative. And you need to be willing to work with other people. Even if you don't like them, you need to be willing to work with them. And the other big takeaway that I got from theater is I have a physical model in my head for how to debug things. So if you walk up to a light and you, and you turn the light on and it doesn't turn on, you have started a debugging process at that point. First thing that you do is that you check the light bulb. If the light bulb is work, like you swap out the light bulb, right? If you swap out a light bulb and the other light bulb doesn't work and like the one, so you now have potentially two bad light bulbs or there's something wrong with the lamp. So now you go and check and see, is the lamp plugged in, right? Does it actually have power? Okay, cool. It is plugged in. So in theory, it should have power. Okay, let's go check and see if the breaker is tripped. Is the breaker tripped? Okay, cool. If it's not, and then you start like getting into really deep testing tools where you're like, okay, let me go get the thing that checks to see if there is actually power in this thing, right? So now you're like getting deep into it. But through all of that, there is a process for like, okay, where is the problem happening and work backwards from there? And so I have this very physical model in my head for how to debug programming because it's the same thing. A function's not being called. Well, why is the function not being called? Well, there's an if statement. Is the if statement firing? The if statement 
is not firing. Well, why is the if statement not firing? Well, let's check and see what the things are that are going to the if statement. Okay, well, those are coming from over here. So where is it getting set? Let's make sure it's getting set correctly, right? So you're doing this sort of backwards look into, okay, how is all of this code working? And it's the exact same thing as troubleshooting a light bulb. And 20 console log statements later. (laughs) (laughs) I am a heavy user of console log statements. So I firmly agree with that. Yeah, like I would use break statements, but when you're using view, oh my God, that ends up just being the longest process. Every time it needs to like call Vuex or something, I'm just like, nope, console log it is. Apropos of nothing, I really liked how when you started this story, the sound that you made when you hit your mic arm, it was like the iconic, like visceral cartoon light switch flip on sounds. That was great. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm curious if there's any go-to approaches that you leverage frequently at work that come very naturally to you after years in theater that you don't see your fellow colleagues using, like something that our listeners could maybe try out at work. I don't know. Reading documentation. (laughs) The number of times that I would get in a fancy light fixture in theater where it is... With these fancy light fixtures, they have a typical on-off light, right, that you turn on and off. It has what we call one channel, right? You have intensity. That's it. You go to 100% intensity, and then you can fade down to 0% intensity, right? That's it. That's your one control. On these newer, smarter lights, you have anywhere from like 1 to 48 channels of control, And there isn't a standard for it. Each channel just does its own thing, and each light does its own thing. And so you learn very quickly. You get in a new light, you open up the manual, and you make sure you understand what each of these control channels is doing. And so that's one of those things where I'm not afraid going and saying, okay, cool, I need to know what the guts of this thing are. And so I will go in, I will look at the documentation. And if the documentation isn't good enough, and it's not giving me enough information for what I need, I will go into the source code and I will just start poking around and being like, okay, what is this supposed to be doing? How is it doing it? And I feel like there's a lot of people who are hesitant to do that. A, it can be a deep dive into terrifying code land, right? Because other people's code can be terrifying. But it also makes you a better developer to look at other people's code sometimes because as a lighting designer you get very very stale as a lighting designer if you don't go see theater and see other people's lighting design and same thing with programming if you don't go and you look at and see what are other people doing how are they doing it what is this thing that people are talking about you're skills will get stale. And you can go a long way on that. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. That is a perfectly fine approach. But sometimes it's good to just take a look. What is this person doing? How are they approaching this problem, right? I know that Vue does this thing where it like merges the virtual DOM and the real DOM together and keeps track of changes. I've never looked at that. I might dig into that someday and be like, how is this happening? Because Maybe I'll run into a project where they're like, cool, you need to keep the stuff from the API on the screen and then merge in all of the new changes. It'd be great to be able to see how somebody else has implemented something similar to that. So yeah, read the docs and read other people's code. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time for us to move on to this week's picks. With that, Tessa, would you like to kick us off? 
Okay. My first pick is pretty topical. I think Alex brings up a good point. I've picked one of her videos before, but Jessica Kobesi is a YouTuber and a photographer. And she has this series where she reacts to America's Next Top Model. And one thing that I always find pretty interesting is like if she likes the photos, which often isn't the case, then she'll try to figure out what kind of lighting and equipment setup the photographer has. And I think that kind of excitement to see what somebody else is doing, especially if it's different from how you would do it, is maybe sometimes missing in tech. And so I think that that could be a fun example to see someone doing live what Alex was talking about. Also, apropos of nothing, I was recently reminded how much I like PowerPoint. So that's another pick for the week. And then finally, I had picked The Stranger at some point in the past or the future. I'm not sure. (laughs) I guess we'll find out. But when I picked it, a friend thought I was talking about Stranger, which is like the English name for a K-drama called Kimure Sup, which means like Forest of Secrets. It's a show about like a prosecutor who's unemotional and like I never saw anything about the Korean court system before, and it's pretty interesting. So those are my picks. All right. Great. Ari, what do you have for us this week? I have another season of the Manhunt series, this time the Unabomber. So Manhunt Unabomber. I don't feel like I need to explain a whole lot about that, because if you don't know who the Unabomber is, I can't help you. But this show can. So if you don't, just watch it. If you do, you already kind of know what it's about. Here's a hint. There's bombing involved. (laughs) And that's all I got. All right. Alex, what do you have for us this week? My pick this week is a game that I have been mildly binging for the last couple of three weeks. The game is called My Time at Portia. If you have ever played anything like Stardew Valley or Animal Crossing or anything like that, this game is going to feel very familiar. It's slightly different in that it is 3D. So we're not talking about like Stardew Valley where you have two-dimensional characters on a isometric plane, but this is 3D. So you're running around and doing stuff. And it's this very interesting game because you get a farm from your father who's off traveling and you have to build things. And then there's a little city called Portia that you live right next to and you help them by building things for them. But it's this very like happy, charming place, but it's also simultaneously post-apocalyptic and it's really weird. It is quirky and beautiful and weird and unique in and of itself and I have been thoroughly enjoying it. If any one of the mechanics were like a game by itself, it would not work. But with all of the things together, it all works together. And yeah, that is my recommendation. They're also, in theory, going to be releasing, I think later this year, a follow-up game called My Time at Sandrock, where another one of the towns in this world that they've invented is called Sandrock. And so I'm assuming that it'll be adventures there that it's going to be very similar. So yeah, I'm super excited about it. Very cool. All right. And so as far as my pick for this week, for those who don't know, VUX 4.0 is official release now. So it is out of release candidate, which is very exciting. And then for those who are looking for a game to play with people sort of like online co-op, discover this sort of fun little puzzle one that you can play online with friends called Unrailed where you all basically try to, it's sort of like Minecrafty, where you have to like harvest resources and you have to construct things and coordinate with one another. It's a pretty 
fun time. So if you're looking for that, that is Unrailed on Steam. We will make sure to include that in the show notes. And with that, that is all for this episode. Thanks everybody for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view.